Welcome, citizens of the globe, to the Frontend Heroes podcast, where we discuss all things villainous and heroic about the front end of software development. My name is Evan Payne, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Scott Francis. How are you, Scott? I'm really good, thanks. Are you? Yeah, sun is shining. I'm doing really good. <laughs> um, today's episode is sponsored by NetCentric, an award-winning Adobe Global Alliance partner. And both Scott and I work here as senior front-end software engineers, and we're glad, as always, to have their support with this show. Today's topic and the name of the episode is Backend Villains. And, you know, for us villainous versus heroes, it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek reference. Please don't take offense. Um, in some ways, people think of the backend and frontend as two sides of the same coin. But uh, in fact, that might not be a valid metaphor. And to talk more about what I mean, we have two guests with us today. Um, if we could please introduce yourselves one at a time, we have David Pelayo. Hi, Evan. Thanks for inviting me to this show. Uh, yeah, as you said, my name is David Pelayo. Been software engineer based and located in Spain since almost 10 years back now. And um, yeah, last years I have been um, dedicating my time to work as a freelancer and doing some entrepreneurship and running but miserably failing to digital businesses. And uh, <laughs> now uh, I became part of uh, NetCentric as, a, as employee too. Thanks. And our other guest today is Pavel Sovalevsky. Hey, hello. Thanks for inviting me. Um, yeah, uh, my, as you said, my name is Pavel Sobolevsky. Um, I used to be a full stack developer for quite some time. Uh, but last two years, I actually narrowed it to just being a front-end developer, um, so switched front a bit. Um, but yeah, more of that in details a bit later, I suppose. Yeah, well, maybe not even later. So um, <laughs> where we had the idea for this episode was to... Um, you know, compare the two sides, front end and back end, but also in both of our guests' cases, they've gone one direction or the other. In Pavel's case, he's gone from being a full stack or, you know, focused on the back end and part time uh, developer to a front end developer. And in David's case, he used to be a front ender and has now grown into more full stack and uh, to the point of being hired as a back end uh, developer. So, yeah, we want to talk around that. Um, but first, I want to pass it over to you, Scott, just to sort of get your impression of the back end. Like, what's stopping you from being a back end developer? Or why did you choose front end over back end? It's an interesting question. Um, and I think one of the things that I've come to realize really as a front ender is that I really, I really enjoy like the back end of front end, if you like. Um, so like some people really buzz off creating amazing things in CSS and like some of the things that I see out there um, are really, for me, are really like dazzling, really amazing. And people really enjoy things like um, like focusing on animations and things like that. For me as a front ender, as an, as an engineer, I, I really think that uh, my strength lies uh, in the JavaScript. Um, and that's really where like... That's really where I actually like, uh, think that I excel. So in many ways, I also think, well, maybe, maybe I should have become a back-end developer. Um, it's not something that um, that I ever really focused on. I mean, my, my education really was um, to 
was really around front-end technology. I don't really ever think that I dabbled in back-end. Although my first my first job after after university, um, like the company I was working for was was really like um, not that great, and I ended up uh, writing like some back-end. So just well PHP, uh, uh, SQL queries, that kind of thing. Um, and I can't say that I didn't enjoy that. Um, but really, like when the time came to focus and zero in on something, it was uh, for me it was front end. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm always interested to to work with the back end guys. Um, always find it always find it fascinating. Um, so it's something that like in another in another life I would have been comfortable with. I think. Interesting, um, David. What about you? Um, how did you? start off in, in engineering and what, what made you choose front-end at the time? And, well, we can talk more after that. So I started in, in the first workplace working as a Java developer for an enterprise solution for IBM in Barcelona. And at the time, flew, then I um, got assigned to a different project in which I, I, I had to develop the first front-end of a big company. And there I started to realize how cool it was to um, develop um, in a way where the outcome was um, um, directly visual, right? Because especially when you were showing your your results to your partners or even the people you're reporting to, then the effect is quite direct, right? It's it's easy to understand. And then um, from that point on, I continued to grow on the front-end path um, by becoming the um, more specifically, more a JavaScript developer. I had to develop a few platforms that, um, which were focused on visualizing kind of um, big data. So, yeah, working with D3.js, um, SVG technology, um, few back um, um, years back, and um, that was like the initial point, right? Uh, but then. During your career, um, at least that was the feeling for me, I started to realize that I was lacking some of the insights of the whole um, of a system itself. And it's not only about APIs or backend development, but it's also most of the times where you're working for big companies, you're losing a, a lot, a lot of the perspective on how the whole solution on the on the on the back, you know, what, what you don't see, how it's built upon, right? And and so I was feeling like, well, I know what I do on my, on my stuff on the browser, but I want to know more from, from that point on. I want to know how everything gets um, connected, all pieces of the puzzle. And that was where, where I started. I, I mean, I, I find that particularly interesting because that's kind of how I've grown um, the opposite direction, maybe. So, like, I, I started off, uh, you know, barely figuring out how PHP worked within WordPress and, you know, FTP was just dropping stuff up into there and hoping it worked. And then I had to set up databases, but it was like, I don't want to do this. This is really hard. Uh, And for a long time, it was like, oh, okay, now that I understand that what I like doing is the front end, I don't want to go anywhere near back end. For me, that is just like too much and too complicated. But as you say, I came to a point where I was frustrated that there was no one available to help me do some of the uh, like side projects that I wanted to do. Um, and Pavel, we can talk about <laughs> a different situation in, in a moment. But, you know, still, I, I, by default, then was investigating into, okay, well, what can I do to 
push my boundaries a little bit. And now that I understand from working for a few years as a front ender, how APIs work and things like that, well, what if, is there something that can help me kind of write my own APIs? And suddenly I am wearing both hats, right? I'm not a good backender by any stretch, but I'm starting to span that, span that line. Um, Pavel, what about for you? I mean, does that uh, strike any chords with you? How did it how did it play out for you? <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, uh, the, the first company I actually uh, that I was hired in in an IT department uh, was a company that, for a start, took some uh, startup projects, and so we had to like be every everything, <laughs> every every single one of us had to be a full stack developer, like a real full stack developer. And the technology which we used uh, back then was Ruby on Rails, and it was really easy to pick up. And the community was really great. So I I really have to say that that if at least at that time uh, I, I'm really gr- grateful for the community, especially. And I worked as a full stack for quite some time, for like I don't know six years or something like, or something similar. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed uh, writing APIs, um, figuring out how to uh, optimize some queries. I worked with many different uh, um, database solutions and migrating from one to another. Every project was a bit different and, and interesting on its own. But at some point, I think I realized that uh, uh, that that I I, I the, the results I have, like this second that I steal from the request or anything else that I optimize is not actually something visible, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And and whenever I, I uh, started working with, with uh, actual designs that I had to implement, there was immediate result of it. Like I, I could see after an hour or two of my work, I could immediately see an effect of it. And that was much more rewarding, I would say. And... After those seven years, I just thought to myself, well, I can't be a specialist in everything. I need to narrow it somehow. And that's why I had to pick either to be a backender or a frontender to, to be able to, to actually achieve the, the goal of being um, a specialist. And that's why I think I picked being a frontender at that moment. So like a strictly frontender where... I'm I'm still trying not to get involved into backend stuff, but like a, 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 anytime I, I have to wait for a backender I, or some sort of uh, interactions with them, I tend to actually dig into the code and <laughs> trying to to figure out myself. Maybe it's quicker, maybe it's not, but I I'm just I just don't like to wait, I suppose. Uh, but still, yeah, um, I think that's that's how it went with me. I th- I. Th- I think if I just cut in there, uh, Pavel, I think that that really that's really something that chimes with me as well. Um, I think with front end, you know, there's a there's nearly always just a little bit of um, wanting to show off your work, and with front end, honestly, that's a lot easier. I mean, like the back end, they do some incredible things, but um, you go home at, you go home in the evening and um, say, "Oh, look at this that I've been working on." Um, it's not so impressive if it's just code. Like if you've got something on, if you've got something in a browser that you can show uh, your your other half, then it, you you do have that sense of um, like you've created something. I mean, it goes back all the way back for me when I first saw somebody write "Hello World" in the in a HTML page uh, and saw that through the browser, and I thought, "Wow, this is like this is amazing!" Like I can actually see it. I've you fix something and you see it working. 
So I think there is a little bit of ego with with front end. Yeah, definitely. That's that's the case. I um I also personally, like I said, I I steered away from it for a while because I think maybe one of the base levels of back end is the kind of like getting yourself into a server and playing around there. I know that's more maybe like sysops or something like that, but you know this command line. Uh, being able to be really good at that. And most people, that's not the first thing they dive into. You know, they're uh, using other technologies and and it seems intimidating. And for me, the reason I bring it up is that a lot of these GUIs or these graphical user interfaces that we have are there because someone was like, yeah, I don't have enough. I don't know what's going on here. It's too hard for me to uh, understand when it's just a series of command line things. Let me make a user interface for this. And that for me is where the uh, distinction lies a lot. It's yes, I I could just do this as efficiently as possible, uh, or I could spend more time, but make it so that it's maybe more accessible to a larger portion of people. Um, does that? Do you agree, David? Do you want to speak? Uh, but don't you have to fill in sometimes? For instance, when you're using a certain um, um, specific utility for committing with Git, don't you have the feeling that sometimes you want to know what is going under the hood? Because I've got the feeling that many developers, um, they are clicking on you know the commit or the fetch or the synchronize button, but they don't really know what is going under, under these scenes. I'm, I have I'm to constantly seeking that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, we had a lot of people working in our company right now, and I had to explain in detail how, how, how like, for example, Git working is working under the hood because they were, uh, as you say, they basically did not even understand how it works. They just had those few buttons, and that was enough for them. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, that, that to me would be a, a simplicity of a reflection of what the back end would represent and why it made me, you know, um, start thinking on why not dedicating more time onto this, especially now that we are um, becoming more cloud dependent on solutions and, and architecture of big solutions become, you know, you, you have to, if, if you want to dig into one specific server, just, just, you need to start knowing a little bit how at least they, they have been all pieced together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I take your meaning for sure. For, for me though, that what you're describing is actually just a lack of um, proper UI. So there is something missing. If you're, if you're not able to see everything that's really going on uh, at will, then someone intentionally left something out, which is not always ideal, or they just didn't implement it, which is also not always ideal. Um, I don't know. We, we, we've had some, conversations as well of like what you what you display and um someone that i worked with for a while was really adamant about never lie to the end users but for me they they took it even too far they said okay well until the i I don't want to show a placeholder item in this list when you hit create because that's a lie because it is saying that the item is maybe going to be created soon, but you don't know because the server hasn't responded with a yes or no. Um, and the discussion there devolved into, yes, I'm right, no, I'm right kind of a thing. But uh, I, I think the point was it's a it's a contentious issue because you're trying to represent something on the front end uh, that the back end is responsible for. So maybe that's a good segue into a next topic of conversation, which is what is your understanding of the overlap? 
um, between the two and like where where does it really start to be a front ender's responsibility for something versus a back ender's? For me, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll just talk a little bit about this. I mean, um, as a rule, you would try not to be like so hard and fast about like the things that you that you actually do. If you have the ability to do it and um, you're contributing to a project, then why not step in and uh, and and actually fix something that needs fixing? I mean. Um, like Pavel alluded to earlier on, like if he if he sees something, um, or he's waiting for a back ender, um, and he thinks that he can fix this himself, then you know why not? I mean, as long as as long as um, project etiquette is like is maintained, I mean, you're not really upsetting anybody. I think that um, maybe you shouldn't actually worry about treading on people's toes and uh, worry about that overlap. I don't. I mean. It's it's down to it's down to knowledge for me. If um, if I'm working on a project uh, and one of the backenders has good JavaScript, for instance, um, and they they come to me and say, "Oh, I noticed that this was wrong. Um, I just fixed it." You know, have you got a problem with that? I, I think, of course not. Like it's uh, it goes back to something that we've talked about uh, before, where you want the feeling of all being like one team. Um, if you have the ability, then why not do it? I don't think that we need like hard and fast divisions. Um, I don't know whether the guys have found like examples of like good and bad practice uh, over the years. Um, do you want to go first, Powell? <laughs> I mean, I totally agree with what what Scott just said. Uh, I, I never draw a, a, like a strict line uh, between one or the other. Uh, I know people that um, some people basically split it by like a file type, like they don't touch anything that ends with JS or anything similar and and the other way around with Java or any other extension. But um, as Scott mentioned, for me, uh, it's, it's, it's a matter of communication between both of the teams, backenders and frontenders. If they are fine with, if one team is fine with, uh, with the other fixing something or adding, and if it's still um, along with how they, uh, with their, uh, I don't know, practices, then I guess it's fine. And that's actually a helpful thing because they can still uh, be focused on their tasks. So my experience, it depends a lot on the context on the project I found in bigger projects, um, people that was more backend specialized, trying to architecture or re-architecture the front-end application from scratch because of they thought that it was a better approach, but they, they were lacking the experience and knowledge of what were the consequences of the changes they were about to apply, right? And, and there I would disagree because, yeah, such a big change, well, small change, but with a big impact, would require, you know, some consensus, I would say, on the one hand. And then um, on, on the other hand, if I wouldn't be like too, too strict uh, or I wouldn't be strict at all if you're speaking of uh, the context of a, I don't know, indie hacker who is just running, you know, a prototype application and needs to, with, with a few collaborators, maximum of three to five people, they, they need to quick deliver and iterate then, yeah, why not? Let's change and iterate over the code and, and let's 
worry a, a little bit about the implications of then later, right? Because in the very end, we, we just need flexibility to deliver. That's the main core concept of it, in my opinion. Um, yeah, that's how I feel it. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I When I have kind of gone off on the indie route and tried to do my own stuff, I I feel like a junior again, which is to say I I know that there are best practices that exist for setting up APIs and for dealing with like the response comes in from the front end, which is weird enough as a front ender to be thinking of that way, uh, what to do with it, how long to respond, what the correct server response code is and all these sorts of things. Um, that already becomes overwhelming. So I, I, I imagine it's the same in reverse and you, you have to respect that. Usually the person that is going to be switching hats like that is not going to be the same level on both. You know, they might be a senior backender, but they're going to be acting as a junior frontender and they need to respect the rules and right. roles of totally the project <laughs> in that regard. Yeah. Um, yeah. That also kind of goes into another thing, which uh, for me has been coming up as I work on some side projects, which is the tooling and frontend is notorious for taking over everything that it can. Um, and I think, I think that's also bled over into backend as well, which is to say it's not frontend anymore. It's still, you know, it's backend, but JavaScript in particular um, has taken over some backends. And there are two things that come to mind. One is, I mean, everyone knows about Node, but recently the cre one of the creators of Node has come out with Deno, um, which is just a scrambled version of Node. But uh, the idea is it's rebuilt from the ground up to be much more like asynchronous and promises are native to it and all these sorts of things. And that potentially is going to see a, a surge of new, you know, non-browser applications that are written in JavaScript that are uh, faster and more performant than Node uh, apps by themselves could be. And then the second tool, just for throwing out their discussion point, are frameworks like uh, Nest.js, which is sort of putting a TypeScript Angular flavor on top of uh, Node and Express in particular so that uh, you can architect and feel like you're still working within Angular, even while you're working on backend sort of stuff. Have either of you had experience with those kind of technologies or thought or heard about them or anything to share? Pavel, maybe start with you. <laughs> yeah, mostly with just pure node, um, actually. And for like personal projects, I, I, I tend to actually uh, back up with different stuff <laughs> elixir for instance with phoenix but um recently i have to uh, uh give um some credits for firebase also because if if you need a really simple backend for for your frontend app that's i would say for now a really good way route to to, to pick um but yeah, I, I, right now, as I said, I'm really trying to 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 not get into backend anymore. <laughs> so I, I stick to Node at this point. That's fair. On my side, I mean, I've heard of Dino. I've been following this um, since a little bit of a time, although I haven't developed yet a production-ready application. Well, the tool itself is still not production-ready. They have released like recently version one, right? Um, yeah. Um, but um, so it 
it it feels to me that a a, a new sort of a concept based on on what we have had as experience with the with the NPN dependencies or or man, man, version management based on a node technology was kind of needed. I mean, uh, but who has has been a, 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 the developer that hasn't been struggling um, with sort of dependency issues on on the project? But also, it's, it's been um, designed on top of a sec- different security model and well, security centric in this case. Because, well, I don't know if you have experience working with Go, for instance, but how do you establish the dependencies, how they are working together? It's kind of similar. So in the very end, it makes the job of importing dependencies much simpler. So I, I don't know if these guys, the creators, they have had influences on on, on other tools, like, as I said, Go. But um, to me, it feels like kind of a good decision. So I'm looking forward to develop first with these ones. But um, yeah, recently, I well, I haven't been touching Nest, for instance, but recently I have been developing a application, which, by the way, got um, 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 live a couple of weeks ago using Django, uh, Firebase, as Powell mentioned, and also uh, React. Um, so yeah, it's been quite, quite amazing how and, and easy how Django provides you with the enhanced tool set ready for with a few bits of code provide a full rest api which you can easily start consuming of course all dockerized so you're just running it locally and just start typing on react and yeah that feels like proper joy i would say <laughs> i think for me as well it's interesting i mean uh, as you mentioned earlier on uh, Evan, like that JavaScript seems to permeate many things now, including the back end. Um, it was a couple of weeks ago I was taking a look at an, uh, a new Adobe project, uh, product rather, um, and the back end um, logic is all basically done in JavaScript, um, which like it seems like it, it, once again, like JavaScript just permeates something else. Um, but I mean, when you think of that, it opens up the possibilities um, for for front end people to actually start really thinking uh, in terms of the back end, um, and especially for someone like me, where as I said as I said before, it's not that I don't like um, like doing the front front end like the the CSS because I do, but it does definitely open up opportunities to actually move like almost into like a center ground, if you like. So like maybe this is where, you know, the two the two worlds collide. Maybe this is like where the the overlap happens on the diagram. Um it's just something that really like interests me that it's actually that the two worlds are, are actually coming together um through products like this. Yeah. What, what, one thing that comes to mind uh, for me there is um you were talking earlier about, you know, being comfortable or having a mindset that's maybe more the back of the front end. And I'm curious as to all of your kind of level of comfort. So what I find is that as a front ender, I'm much more willing to take chances, which is to say, because I have that instant feedback, is this working or not? For me, it's not as intense to sort of break something temporarily. Whereas I think with the back end, you maybe have a mindset that's much more cautious. I mean, there's 
backenders tend to run a lot of tests, right? At least our backenders um, do. They write a lot of tests. And I wonder two things there. One, okay, yes, they, they want to be sure that what they're writing is going to work so that when it breaks, it doesn't take five hours of downtime on the product to get it working again. But two, maybe it's part of seeing a visual feedback for themselves as to what they've written is actually working or not. Um, but that mindset there, that that is what for me is a big separation between the two is level of comfort with potentially having something you've written in code break. I mean, does that resonate with you, David? Uh, I'm thinking in terms of, again, type of project. When I'm working on small projects, I tend to disagree there because, for instance, if I'm provisioning a certain application to a certain server in, 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 in Amazon Web Services and I want not to plug in a in-memory um, um, cache layer with Redis, um, I, I, I like to, to, you know, how I'm, I'm initializing those processes and I, I like to see how they are failing <laughs> when, when I'm bootstrapping. So in, in some sort of a way, you get a a direct feedback after you start applying the changes and connecting with the client to that. But of course, it's not visual. And, and I cannot deny that. Um, however, if if the, the project scale is much greater in terms of, I don't know, you are developing an API which provides a payment a gateway, I'm pretty sure that mostly all of us would agree that <laughs> they would like to have <laughs> pretty well covered that change so that at your continuous integration pipeline, um, when running a pull request, then you would validate and test whether your change is um, yeah, went fine or not. Because how else could you do it? What What is the guarantee you could have? Because you don't have a visual um interface to see whether what you did was correct or not right yeah for sure um yeah i i, I absolutely agree with you i think that the there's a val valid reason for having that in place I, I i really just wonder like why haven't why is it so that a lot of front-enders are much more casual about that is it just the security of being able to visually test something or is maybe something else at play hmm. Can, no, can, no. I yeah. guess, I guess, and probably some people will <laughs> throw some stones on my head, but uh, I guess it's because the well, um, the implications of the changes in most of the cases they are lower than 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 on certain service implementations. But of course, that depends again, right? So in the very end, you you are maybe um, changing a certain. Well, if it is a layout change, then you would agree, but then it is true that certain front-end applications involve core business logic, especially nowadays. So then that would play against my opinion, my own opinion. So don't know. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, Pavel, do you have any thoughts? Uh, actually, I would have to uh, fully agree with David. Uh, the, everything depends on the scope or actually the size of the project and what's the main goal of it. And adjusting to that based on that. <laughs> but on top of that, I have to say, I always like to have like a, a control over what's going on under the hood and everywhere, actually, even, even, even now when I have a, a stack of backenders working in the same, uh, on the same project, I, I do like to know, um, like if, <laughs> like when there's an, uh, some sort of issue on the backend side, at least how to, you know, uh, put, put, put the fire down. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, And I think as well, you see the rise of things like TypeScript in recent years, and it is given those that write front-end code a lot more control over the things that they do. Um, I, you know, this calls back to someone I used to work with, but they despised TypeScript uh, because for them it was a restriction. But for me, since I've been using it, it has been like just a safety net. And that has felt much more empowering than other things. It's, you know, the same way as when you write your tests and you do a good job on your tests, you're comfortable to change things and break things potentially because you know you'll be caught out for it. Um, And having no tests is really dangerous (laughs) in certain aspects. Um, So yeah, I I think that's maybe not exclusively a backend sort of thing. But you then again, you look at TypeScript and it borrows a lot of the things from Java, actually, um, that the backenders have been using to provide themselves with that sort of level of safety. So there's crossover. I guess that's the key here. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have an anecdote uh, regarding the, ty- the TypeScript. So I was talking with uh, with a really close friend of mine who is like a really old backender to the to to, to the root, <laughs> and uh, we were talking, and he was recently interested in React, so he started reading about it and going through some some tutorials. And he said that the biggest issue he sees while working with a front end uh, is that. He never knows what kind, sort of like arguments you have, or or what does what can an object uh, keep inside. And I was like, well, there's this thing called TypeScript, which basically gives you this full control over it. Uh, and he was like, wow, now, yeah, yeah, you're right. This looks like Java now, actually. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed the same. Also. Um... From for people who came from with very strong mindset in .NET, for instance, or Java as well. For some reason, they they're feeling like much on control of 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 the code and the project itself. If if they they are using uh, static typing um, or or you know it's not dynamic typing, so you 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 can't kind of predict or you know which is going to be the input and what type of input you're going to have and what type of output, right? Um, which is I agree with Evan. It's a great addition, for instance, for for technologies used on the front end as TypeScript. Yeah. Um, well, it's been uh, tried to be solved with certain checkers, like um, for the React one, was it called Flow? I can't remember now. But, yeah, Flow. Uh, but um, um, yeah, it's 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 gaining some momentum right now. TypeScript on the community, I would say. So yeah, yeah, I think that um, I I think the resistance or any kind of resistance to TypeScript kind of plays into the stereotype. Um, of the split between back-end and front-end. I mean, the idea that, uh, that everybody's entitled to their own opinion, everybody's entitled to use the technology that they feel comfortable with. But for me, the idea that um, that TypeScript would somehow constrain you as a, as a front-end developer, it wouldn't let you do the things that you wanted to do, or like, it's almost like... Um, the, the developers feel that they should be able to run with whatever they want and they shouldn't be constrained by these things. Um, and that almost plays into the stereotype, I think. The the resistance to this, like the resistance, why should you have all of these rules? You know, like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be free of these rules and we're gonna and being free of those is gonna help us create like these amazing things. When I mean like that's not really the case at all. 
Um, and I really think that the resistance to that, um, whether it's somebody doesn't want to learn like TypeScript and so they instantly resist it. Um, but in the end, if it's there, then it helps you to actually gain that control to, to develop better applications, then I don't see why there would be the, re the resistance from it apart from like, maybe it just plays into that character a little bit. You don't, maybe those front enders just don't want to be the back enders. And that's why they chose to do, to code everything in JavaScript because it was a little looser. Um, so for me, it's interesting that like, I'd like to see why people really resist uh, using something like TypeScript. Wouldn't you agree on 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 the following? Because in my experience, I've seen how uh, when a certain project source code has to scale, then using technologies which are stricter um, uh, helps somehow because because it allows you to to organize better. I'm, I'm just speaking high level now. And whereas if you're um, developing small pieces or small projects, then having the flexibility of, you know, not going and de defining specific classes and models and all sort of things gives you the, you know, um, speeding up with uh, what you want to achieve. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think that once you start getting beyond, um, once you start getting to a certain scale of a project, like, um, I guess at the moment, all of us would probably be involved in like, pretty big projects where like this kind of these kind of safeguards would actually help us um yeah for sure if you were just doing like a really really tiny application or you wanted something something quick to actually structure that and develop types in typescript um would probably be overkill but in general when you're working for like uh like bigger projects i can't see why there would be like the resistance other than other than a learning curve really um yeah, generally what, what I've found is that it feels like you want to not bother when you're working on these smaller projects. But if those projects ever do grow, then you really regret it. Um, the same as, you know, adding something like um, material to a degree, angular material or, um, you know, bootstrap or something like that. It Especially when you use the components from those uh, component libraries, it's harder to extract them later, and you kind of regret your decision as you start to grow in scope. Um, I, and I think the same thing is true for these kind of technologies. Um, I do also think that this is where we're going to get maybe the most feedback on our podcast that we've had in a long time, because I know there are people out there that really don't agree. They they have valid reasons for not choosing something like TypeScript and not just to focus on that. There are other ways of thinking and mono repos and, and things that are coming from the backend world over into ours. And maybe for us, for them, uh, those that are opposed to this, this really is the key of backend villainy. Um, the, the backenders are uh, spreading their agenda to the front end that was pure and good before. And now we're being corrupted by the dark side. Maybe not. Maybe that's a uh, pure, um, rhetoric. In any case, um, we're getting to that point in the show where we have to start to wrap up. Um, first thing is we wanted uh, to continue on with our uh, segment, uh, True Heroes. In this segment, we want to highlight a few true front-end heroes working across the planet and thank them for all that they do. Um, in this case, I think Scott and I both share the same one, which is a person that works within uh, our company, but is 
just a tireless advocate of performance, as we talked about in the previous episode, and accessibility, and has brought that up to the forefront of discussion with our clients. Um, so a big shout out to Fabian Krumpoltz, who is no longer a front-ender per se, but is truly a, a front-end hero at heart. Um, yeah, Scott, anything to say about Fabian? I, I would just like to say that, um, yeah, I've always known Fabian's uh, dedication to um, to performance, to web performance, and he's really like um, helped me in the last in the last couple of weeks. Um, really like helped a lot. Um, really pushed things to a, a client. Um, really with the with the sole aim of actually making things better directly for the client. Um, and it's been his, his professionalism has just been outstanding. His knowledge incredible. Um, yeah, so I, I'm with you. I think he deserves a big shout for that. Thanks. Um, and tossing it to our guests, I know this is putting you on the spot. And uh, if need be, I can always fiddle the audio to edit out uh, the response if it's <laughs> too much. But um, do you have anyone that has sort of inspired you in terms of the front end community and brought you up to a higher level or pushed you to be better than you were or something like that that would make you call them out as a front end hero? I do, um, and he inspired me in the very initial moments of my front-end career. His name is um, Arnau, and he was also part of the NetCentric community. Um, so he was uh, a very talented developer in, in, in all senses. He, he was also specialized on the UX um, sort of faith feeling and uh yeah i learn a lot with him so i'm i'm always um recalling him when when i still have to do some front-end uh, work <laughs> thanks Marvel, anyone come to mind yes actually uh that that's you evan actually to be honest <laughs> as funny as it is but yes that's that's actually you so the thing is when i uh first time met you and started working with you i remember i was the one who was pro angular and you were really into vue.js and at some point at time you switched sides and later on, there was another project where I was able to freely choose the technology um, for it. And I, I thought, well, you were so into that Vue.js. And I remember you telling me all, all those benefits of using it and uh, how, how easy it is to pick up. So I just actually thought, why not? Why not trying the Vue.js? And at that point, I actually learned quite a few things. So thanks a lot. Yeah, well, thanks for calling me out. It's maybe a bit uh, on the nose, but I um, do strive to be that. And in a future episode, we're going to talk about mentoring and, and sharing with the community as well. So maybe that'll be a good lead in for that. Thanks. Um, our next segment, uh, any proper hero is going to be a well-rounded one. So we want to share some simple musical picks from us. So Scott, what is the favorite thing you've been listening to lately? Well, um, last weekend, um, I was actually talking to a friend and he told me that, uh, that Stevie Wonder had had a run of six albums, uh, consecutive, which were all time classic albums. And, you know, I'd listened to one of them. And so, so last week for me was a, a Stevie Wonder week. And I, out of all the ones that I listened to, um, there's an album, Inner Visions, which was just an absolute like piece of 
like an absolute masterpiece. Um, so I spent a lot of time last week listening to Stevie Wonder, um, and Inner Visions is definitely my pick. Awesome. Thanks. Um, David, maybe you can go next if you have one. Yes. Uh, lastly, I have been listening in a daily basis, especially at night, uh, Uprising uh, from Muse. Because my son is getting asleep as he's starting to listen to that that song, so <laughs> that's my best strategy to to make him fall asleep quickly. So yeah, that's sort of what I'm listening. Lastly, that's amazing. He falls asleep to Muse. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. It's amazing, and it's funny at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, uh, Pavel, a pick from you. Uh, I, I actually have two, if I may. Uh, one is John Coltrane and another one is uh, Sonny Rollins. I, the saxophone was always number one instrument in my heart. And recently, uh, I just have a taste for it even more. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Um, I will uh, ask you for the show notes in particular, a couple albums and specifics just to get people started. Um, but yeah, that's great. Good choices. Um, for me as well, I will go a little off. Um, I still haven't done an electronic recommendation, even though that's mostly what I listen to, but someone at work turned me on to a group called Pomplamus, um, which just, they do amazing covers, really great groove. Um, and they have an EP out, I guess it's an album called En Française. Um, they mostly release their stuff on YouTube, and they're, they're a real joy to watch. They're amazing. Um, but this one in particular has a lot of French songs and covers of things like, you know, um, Les Yeux Noirs, and my French accent is terrible, but Les Champs-Élysées and things like that. So it's a real fun album to listen to. Okay, good. With that out of the way, um, I think that's all the time we have for today. We're right around our mark. So... Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for our guests for participating. Um, if you enjoy the show, you should like, heart, star us in your podcatcher of choice. Reviews and ratings are how those fancy algorithms help people find our content. And the power to help is within you. If you have any questions or topics you would like to cover in our next episode, uh, send a tweet to us at Heroes Front End, and we'll add it to our list. As well, if you have any um, questions for our guests, we'll uh, either link you up to their Twitter accounts or or find their responses asynchronously somehow uh in any case uh, please feel free to ask away and until next time heroes remember with great front-end power comes great responsibility see you next time